Welcome back. Welcome back to this, our 57th show. Uh, thank you for joining us, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, we hope to hear from as many of you as possible over the next 45 minutes, hour. Um, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Basil Al-Adra and Yuval Abraham. Uh, Basil is a Palestinian journalist uh, and activist, and he's a local resident of Masafa Yatta, um, where I believe you are now, Basil, uh, speaking to us from uh, the front line, as it were. Um, Yuval is a journalist for 972 magazine, um, mainly covering stories of state and settler violence in the West Bank, home demolitions, and the numerous harsh effects of the siege on Gaza. He's an activist uh, against Israeli apartheid and writing in Hebrew. Thank you both for joining us. Actually, I should ask you again, Yuval, just for the benefit of our viewers, um, whereabouts, whereabouts are you uh, joining us from tonight? So I'm actually joining from Beersheva, uh, which is 20 minutes uh, south of uh, Masafariata. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you to us both. And also, you know, for, for Basil too, I mean, it's uh, there's been some quite personal traumatic events affecting him and his family, um, which we'll, we'll, we'll begin to take a look at, because this is also very much through both the eyes of Basil and uh, Yuval uh, today. Um, Basil, of course, has been taking, uh, he's been there uh, as some of these incidents have been happening, as essentially people are evicted from their homes uh, as soldiers uh, come in, and indeed into Basil's own home. And I just wonder, before we start, because I wanted to, before we move on to the main business of the night, if you like, I, I, I want to know a bit, I'm sure our, our viewers will want to know a bit more about both of you and um, how it is that you came into activism and journalism. But, but before we do, um, you know, th this part of the occupied West Bank, isolated, it looks from, from anybody who doesn't know it, rather desolate, but there are people living there, people living there for generations. Uh, and it's only in the last month that the uh, Israeli Supreme Court has ruled that actually the people living there can be cleared away to make way for a firing range, an army firing range, something that um, uh, Israel has been uh, wanting to do for a very, very long time. This, as we you know, say once again, is in the occupied West Bank. It's quite illegal what is going on. And I just wondered if we might begin uh, by having a look at some of the footage that Basil has shot over the over recent weeks, including the incursion into his family home. Us very brutally and attacking us as a journalist and activist who come here in Masafariyatta to film the fake military exercise just to evacuate the people out against the under the silence of the national community who's doing not, nothing against this war crime in Israel. It's committed here in Masaf Riyadh. But, uh, just, just to, they're beating now. Um, and I, ju I just thought we'd also, can, can we, if it's possible, see the, the footage of what happened subsequently with soldiers entering Basil's house? Oh, man. 
I mean, there we have it. It's difficult to imagine armed soldiers entering your house, but that's just what, what has happened uh, to Basil and his family. Um, Basil, can you tell us what, what was what was actually going on in that footage that you shot? What has been what has been happening and, and what has happened to your family? Uh, yeah, so I would like to start from the first footage that you showed when the soldiers were taking land, like uh, beating us up and pushing us back. This is happening happened last week, last uh, Wednesday, when the army come to do uh, military exercise in in Masafriyata area. Uh, this it's the first military exercise after the court decision have come out in the fourth of May. Uh, that the court gave the green line for the Israeli army to uh, to evacuate people and to do their military exercises in our communities. So it's just started last week also uh, today, and the army announced that it's going to happen for one month. Uh, during this uh, military exercise, they're um, bombing, and today they were shooting. They come with tanks in the fields, <clears throat> and next to the... Uh, <clears throat> in the villages and next to the houses, next to the uh, the structure of the people, and no one is allowed from the Palestinians to move, uh, <clears throat> to move around the village or to go with the sheep outside. Or students have been today, for example, a, a student has lost his uh, secondary school exam. Uh, he was prevented to come to his school. Uh, other students got stopped also on their way. Uh, there's army checkpoints and soldiers' presence in the area uh, all the time since this like uh, court decision. And the second footage about the army raids my home in the night. This is happening since uh, February until today. At least seven times the soldiers has uh, raided my home, my family house. Uh, two times on these raids. My father was detained twice. I was beaten and attacked brutally while, while I was filming. Uh, another Israeli activist were beaten also and his camera were confiscated from him while we were together filming an army raiding to our village. They'd come to my home, to other homes in the village, make fake arrests, uh, fake also uh, research inside the homes. Uh, but all of it, uh, it's like collective punishments uh, for our activism as well. They bring soldiers to do training in the homes in the night. So when they go to the cities in the West Bank, they are trained trained in, in our homes. As well, last December and during these raids, uh, soldiers like raid my home and confiscated five cameras and one laptop, one car that I alongside with other activists use these cameras to document uh, settlers and soldiers violations. So tell me Basil there are I think there are about 19 villages in the area of which 12 are affected now by this court decision this court decision that is illegal under international law um what, what, are, is the plan really to drive everybody who lives there out of those villages and if so, where where will people go? Uh, 
So let's just go back in the history. So the the, the area of Masafriyatta, the people like my uh, my family and other families start to feel to feel the presence of the Israeli occupation uh, in the area of Masafriyatta. It's back in the eighties uh, when they come and part of uh, the, the villages they start building settlement and bring in Israeli settlers and make infrastructure for them, water networks, uh, electricity and roads net network, as well digging our land to build homes for the Israeli settlers. So this uh, violence to have presence of these settlers because it's, it means we lost thousands and tens of thousands of our dunums that uh, our families using it for the agricultural work for the Israeli settlers to be living there. In the same year also, the army, occupation army decided and declared 32,000 includes 12 of our communities as a firing zone area for the army to do trainings. And it's 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 fake uh, reason. It's uh, just uh, a reason to, to make us live uh, toward Palestinian cities. It is uh, in area A, like Yatta and Hebron, and to leave uh, area C, where is our, our home. So in the 80s, they have this, like, dec to declare our land as a firing zone. Uh, 85, 86, they demolished dozens and tens of our caves and homes in order to push the people to leave uh, the land of Masaf Until 1999, they did the first forest situation for the, the the residents of these 12 communities the army brought in trucks uh, picking up everyone and the soldiers were taking everything and for the Palestinians and the Palestinian people themselves uh, by forest out of the map where it tells for these soldiers that inside this map they're firing zone so they take them outside of this map without any alternative solution so the people has set up tents, uh, came to live in the communities that outside of the firing zone uh, for six months. People were trying to go back uh, to work their land, to graze there. Uh, but a lot of them got catched and stopped by the soldiers and they were sent to jail. Sheep has been confiscated. Also tractors and anything were going inside there. Uh, we got confiscated by the soldiers. After mm -hmm. six months, the people went back uh, to their land under a uh, temporary court ruling. Since they went back, uh, they continued to fight in this legal battle uh, until the 4th of May, until uh, the, the final decision. And the people has brought every, uh, every single evidence that they could to the mm -hmm. court to prove uh, the, they're like existing in 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 these communities. Aerial footage from before the forty eight, uh, a lot a lot of evidence were there to to prove. But uh, the decision has come out that uh, from the, the occupation court to the occupation arm, the green light to evacuate the Palestinians from this area and to do their military exercises. Uh, as well, well, I'm, I'm going to just come in now just just to bring uh, Yuval in, if, if I may, um, because, you know, you you have been uh, active and, and campaigning and reporting as well from uh, Masafa Yatta. You've, you've, you've seen what's been going on over a long period of time. 
but for those for those who are watching who who may not know as much as both of you do i mean what is what is the status of this area when you talk about area c uh, and the oslo accords what does it mean um and 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 to, to what extent Yvald, are people elsewhere familiar with what's happening um are people in israel are they seeing footage from what's happening what is the reaction i mean you, you you're probably quite a rare voice i would have thought speaking out yeah um so in regards to the first question about the legal status of area c uh, basically according to the oslo accords area c is under complete israeli military control which means, of course, the entire West Bank is under Israeli military control, but in Area C, the Israeli military is also the one responsible for civil things. So, for example, a Palestinian village living in Area C, if the residents want to get a building permit, uh, to get a permit to construct a road, to connect to water, everything has to go directly through the Israeli military. In Area A, the Israeli military, of course, also occupies the, the territory there, but the Palestinian Authority is sort of like this figure in the middle between the Israeli military occupation uh, and the Palestinians. In the sea area, which is where Masaf Yata is, it's more direct. Now, the, the, the sea area is most of the West Bank. It's 61% of the West Bank. It's all of the open territory. So mm -hmm. any Palestinian who is, for example, you know, leaving his home in Ramallah, for example, in the A area, they have to pass through the sea area. It's all the open land, all the, 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 the natural resources, uh, uh, the borders, uh, uh, everything. And the Israeli policy uh, towards the sea area is to prevent completely any kind of Palestinian development. The, the statistics are really, really wild in this sense that for the past five years, while Israel has allowed, you know, thousands of, of, of new units for settlements in the sea area, it has approved less than 0.4% of Palestinian requests for building permits. So we have Masaf Ariyata and, and, and almost 200 Palestinian villages who are in the sea area and it's impossible for them to live. They, they can't build anything. The, anything they built is being destroyed. And it's really a brutal policy that is, you know, fulfilling this vision of, of the Israeli government to concentrate Palestinians into enclaves. So they want to, it's, it's, it's a form of ethnic cleansing. They want to cause the Palestinians to be stuffed inside the Palestinian cities while Israel controls all of the space around. And this is what's happening, I think, now in Masafariata. And in a way, it's what's happening all across uh, our region, from the river to the sea. It's happening in Jerusalem and in the Negev, uh, 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 and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. And, and, and this division between A, B, and C was, was formulated in 1995 during the, the, the second round of the Oslo Accords. And it was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed yeah. to be only for a few years. But... You know, uh, the Israeli occupation continues and they, they're using this temporary state and making it permit, permanent to, yeah, basically for these colonial reasons. Um, you know, I think in, in the Israeli society, for your second question, is not hearing uh, anything about this. And, you know, even if today the society has gone very much to the right, mm -hmm. um, I think even if for many parts of the society, even if they hear about it, 
maybe they will be okay with it you know like they will even some of them will i see some a lot of times when i you know uh, I, i i i write about it or i post videos about this ethnic cleansing that's going on a lot of the comments are actually encouraging it like you know okay good mm-hmm. like uh, we will have more land uh, especially comments from settlers who are were in in this area yeah, well, or if i could follow up on that yeah. actually because um, Graham in Manchester, he asks, Manchester in England, he asks, are Israeli settlers also involved? And are they causing trouble for Palestinians in the area as well as the military? And of course, you know, what flows from that question too is if you are just focusing on Nasser Fayyata, if the excuse is the Israeli military need a firing range, um, how could they be allowing settlers to move into an area that's going to be a firing range as well? Is this firing range just the it's just there temporarily to make room for more settlers to come in? You know, Mark, it's it's funny you ask this question now because just yesterday I uncovered this document in the archives uh, of a protocol uh, of uh, Ariel Sharon, who was an Israeli uh, mm-hmm. politician. He was the prime minister and the Israeli minister of defense and he's the one who was involved in creating these firing zones in the West Bank and in this protocol he actually says this is a direct quote now from him he says I declared these firing zones in order for there to be reserved territory for the Israeli settlements yeah. he, he, he For, for him it was completely of course of course we know this you know uh, Palestinians know this and, and it's very very clear that it's a political uh, a tool by Israel but you know even even he was <laughs> he even he was saying it like it's it's it, to almost 20% of the West Bank is a firing zone it's clearly I mean this is not even the I think for me it's it's not even debatable question it's it's really an historical fact that this is not a Uh, uh, some you know military need it's it's clearly a political tool to to take over Palestinian land in the West Bank uh, and even the Zionist leaders who were talking about it they, they know and today and this is something Basel can talk about also a lot I think but uh, from, from what the things uh, from what I see and uh, settler violence today is one of the main mechanisms that is actually supporting the What the army is doing in Masafariata so on the one hand you have the bulldozers who are destroying the homes and the soldiers and the Supreme Court that's you know ruling to evict the people on the other hand you have settlers from the nearby outposts and settlements who are actually coming down to these villages and attacking residents uh, me and Basel were together uh, in, in in November when you know settlements came in mass numbers more than like almost 100 set, uh, settlers to mm-hmm. one of these villages who With clubs they were masked with clubs and bats and they started bashing all the cars and the homes throwing rocks inside the windows they they they, they broke the head of a three-year-old child uh, 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 got his skull fractured and you see these different forms of violence that are supporting each other so one violence is legal violence it's mm-hmm. like the the, 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 the the military law doing the violence and the other violence is illegal and But it's happening with the support of the law and it's and, and, and so it's this mechanism that's working together yeah uh, well, thank you and, and Basil I mean we we've heard from you know an Israeli minister that this behavior by settlers is just totally unacceptable it can't be allowed but do you have any evidence to suggest that people who 
because that incident that um, Yuval was just referring to, I mean, we had heard about that here. We had read about it. We had seen some of the footage. Have any of these people who perpetrated this violence on young people and on a three-year-old, have they, have they been prosecuted, to your knowledge? It's like this thing that you hear from the minister or you, re or you uh, read, uh, they're like uh, tweets about settlers violence and they are condemning it it's only happening on twitter and on the and the media outlets but on the ground settlers violence is growing and growing and the state of israel is investing it uh, to ethnic cleansing us as palestinians they always want to show that these are group of uh, terrorist extremists that they want to do violent and the good state the good uh, government want to deal with that uh, but that's not true. It's uh, settlers' violence. It's a, it's a policy that the state of Israel is using is as demolishing our homes, as declaring our land as a firing zone. They're investing in the settler physical violence against us as the Palestinians uh, in order to continue the mission to ethnic cleansing us from out. Uh, if the state wants to stop that, uh, the state is working on bringing these settlers. And as I told you, they're like uh, demolishing our homes, but settlers are uh, expanding and building new homes uh, uh, every day. They are stealing our land, expanding on it, getting all the infrastructure uh, by the state of Israel. While we are who own the land, who own the evidence to prove that we own this land, are prevented to have infrastructure, prevented to build homes or schools or clinics or a good road uh, on our land. But the settlers who own nothing, the state provide them everything in order to come and to live uh, in this area. Well, look, I mean, just if I could follow up from with that, uh, Basil, for, this is a question. This is from Julie, and she's in London. Um, she says, solidarity, solidarity. It's shocking what's going on. Uh, how many Palestinians currently face displacement and how many have already had their homes demolished? So home demolitions, to be honest, since I was young, since I I, I, I I start to understand stuff about life, I'm witnessing like home demolitions. And I grow up, I, I start to, I learn how to use camera and they start to document uh, home demolitions. In the area, there's at least if, like every week, there's a, a mission of demolition of our homes or bulldozing roads or demolishing a school uh, or a clinic. Uh, this is like, Hundreds uh, of homes have been uh, demolished in, in the area. In fact, I think we might have some footage uh, of, of, of home demolitions taking place to, to share with you, to share with our viewers. <laughs> 15 children here, 
אנחנו מבינים טוב מאוד מה המינהל האזרחי עושה. That's very, very disturbing and dispiriting. And you just do sometimes wonder what must be going through the minds of some of the soldiers. I mean, really, if you're a soldier, do you really take any pride in knocking tents down and depriving elderly people and children of their homes? It's just staggeringly awful. Um, but uh, I just also, there's, I think we, we, I mean, we don't want to, because we, we, I think we do want to try and focus on solutions as well. We don't want to just dwell on the terrible things that are happening. But I think whilst we're here, um, there's also, I think we also have footage of um, passengers uh, being attacked by settlers, car passengers being attacked by settlers in the area too. We'll have a quick look at that and then I'll come, I'll come back to... Um... Fuck. Oh my God. Have you said that? Yeah. זהו? Well, Basil took that footage, um, and but I wonder if I could come to you, Yuval. Are the, are the people who are being attacked there, the, the, they were activists coming to the solidarity with uh, with residents there. What, what, what was what was actually going on there? Because I mean, the thing is that we, uh, you know, a, apart from when people like Basil managed to take footage like this and share it, we very rarely see this in the West. So can you can you tell us what's happening there, Yuval? With these, the, the, I guess the activists who come for solidarity reasons. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there were three activists, solidarity activists in the car, Nur Yasmin and Itai. And on that day, there was a, 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 a solidarity protest with Masafariyata and with the, the ethnic cleansing that is happening there. Um, and these are settlers, the settlers that attacked them, they come from an outpost, uh, an outpost that is illeg illegal even under the Israeli law system. But of course, unlike Masafariyata, they're getting anything they want, water, electricity, whatever. It's complete apartheid. And I think also they are part of them are in the firing zone. So it's like really outrageous in this sense of two people who are right next to each other, but completely different set of uh, uh, laws and rules are placed upon them. And this is a very, very violent outpost that that has been, uh, you know, we, we, we've documented many extreme violent attacks of the people who are living there. Um, before this, a couple of months before that, they attacked, I remember, uh, a Palestinian family uh, um, who was doing a picnic on their land. And they came down with bats and uh, they, they crushed someone's uh, 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 jaw. Uh, Basel wrote an article about it. In a 972 magazine, where we are, we are both uh, working as journalists there, and um, and yeah, and these settlers are really using. I think, and it, this goes back maybe to your former question, also, Mark. Like they know that they are immune. Um, you can see in this actual, actually, actually, uh, a photographer, this guy who is you know breaking the window and injuring uh, the people in the car. He's later seen talking to one of the soldiers. And then he is just walking back to the outpost and you can see the soldier uh, just looking at him and, you know, 
letting him letting him go later the the because of the meat only because of only because of the of the media echoing uh, uh, of this incident the 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 Israeli police arrested him and then uh let let, let him go like a few hours later and I and I can tell you nothing will happen to this person so I mean, they know they can do this violence and get get away with it you know because because they are in a way uh helping the army fulfill what the army is trying to do so they are just immune to these well tools. i have to say that there was there was a program on the bbc the other day talking about home demolitions taking place in india where muslim homes and muslim districts are being bulldozed down um the the bjp uh, the bjp party the nationalist party in control of these state governments are saying well we have to do this because these are people who are protesting but actually what i noticed from that report was there was no direct correlation being made between the, these policies that have been carried out by israel now in the occupied territories for a very very long time and the fact that clearly you know it's the same thing happening in india it's almost like copycat um but look before we move on i just thought one one last one other piece of footage that our colleagues have put together is of um well she was a former colleague of mine uh, Shireen uh, Abu Akhla who of course was uh shot dead we know for sure uh, by a, an Israeli soldier the United Nations has conducted an investigation as you know uh, Shireen of course was a journalist for Al Jazeera has been reporting um for 20 20 odd years from the occupied territories and i think she was we have footage of her actually in the area um from some years ago so showing that this has been going on as basil and yuval have been saying for some time if we could just have a quick look at that footage of shireen that would be fantastic اخرى تريد اسرائيل هدمها الجزء الذي خلفنا يقع ضمن الاراضي المحتله عام 67 هذه خربة جنب فيها مدرسة ابتدائية أنشئت دون ترخيص لا أحد يلتفت إلى تلك الخراب باستثناء إسرائيل التي قررت هدمها وإخراج سكانها الفلسطينيين الممنوعين أصلا من البناء الخيام حتى أعطون عليهم تبلغات في المقابل تحيط بتلك الخراب عدة مستوطنات توفر لها إسرائيل كل متطلبات الحياة المستوطنات الإسرائيلية حمالها بتتوسع على حساب الأراضي الفلسطينية لو تمكنت من طردهم ستؤمن لنفسها شريطا حدوديا بين الخط الأخضر وجنوب الضفة الغربية شيرين أبو عقل الجزيرة الخليل Well there we are Basil and this uh, and Yuval this, this bears out what you've been saying this whole process has been going on for a very very long time and I suppose a lot of people looking at that Uh, Basil will 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 we'll ask the question you know if Palestinians have been driven out of their homes for such a long period of time even before the court decision went the way of the government um what is it that makes people hang on in there this tenacity you know what is it that uh, because they are all this time they still haven't succeeded in driving you away then you're there right now Basil Yes, I mean, first, because people don't have another home, another land to go live in. And this is the only land and the only home. It's not just a kind of structures and road and uh, this kind of simple infrastructure that make the people live there. But it's a community with a whole uh, tradition or the livelihood uh, that Israel is trying to destroy. So that this is what makes the... The community steadfast and continue facing this harsh condition that the Israeli army 
putting us living in. Right. I mean, the I mean the other the other interesting thing, of course, is that all of this has been going on against a backdrop of the international community saying this is illegal. I mean, very often things happen. Uh, and you know the the reaction as far as Palestinians are concerned is very disappointing. Um, but in the case here, the United Nations, the European Union, um, the European Union just in recent days once again reiterating these actions are being taken um, in breach of international law. Um, and we've just heard from Yuval that there's almost a sense that you know. Uh, Israeli soldiers, Israeli military and politicians are untouchable. But um, I just wonder, We've, I think we've got a bit of footage, uh, actually a, a British minister um, uh, who, who's just been um, uh, there in the past few days, Amanda Milling, I believe. I, I haven't seen this clip, but perhaps we could share it and then we can see what she has to say. In the South Hebron Hills with the Palestinian community of Masifa Yatta. In this area, more than 1,000 Palestinians face the threat of demolition and eviction from their homes. I met families and children living here, and it was really difficult to hear about the challenges they face, including settler violence and living in constant fear of evictions and demolitions. The people I've met today want to stay in their homes, and they should be able to do so. I had the opportunity to raise these issues with the Israeli Deputy Foreign Minister earlier in the week. The UK strongly opposes such evictions, which cause unnecessary suffering. Let me be clear, these evictions are against international law in all but the most exceptional of circumstances. Yuval, here we hear, you know, for, it's, it's not often that you hear ministers from the West being so unequivocal, actually. Um, it might have been different some years ago, but it's become more and more scarce. But in all of this, you know, what do you think that the Israeli government, they, 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 they have meetings with delegations, they're reminded by the UN, they're told by the EU, they're told by the UK that this is illegal. But does it have any impact? And for it to have any impact, what needs to be what needs to happen yeah it's a very good question uh, so no there is no impact of these you know condemnations that are that we hear every once in a while um and on, on the contrary I, I think on the ground um the situation is getting worse for palestinians and the occupation is becoming more and more you know uh, enshrined as part of the israeli system and I think that what needs to be done is actual actions. You know, we see the way the West has uh, responded, for example, for the Russian occupation in Ukraine. And we know that there are, for, for me, you know, as someone who, who lives here, who has Israeli citizenship, I believe that the, the West definitely needs to take concrete action in the form of, you know, the numerous things that the BDS movement is, is suggesting and to really make... Uh, Israelis also feel that they're paying a price for this. I think, Mark, this connects to the first question on whether or not the Israeli society is hearing about this. I think in general, you know, we had uh, the, 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 the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett speaking in the UN and saying the Israelis are not waking up in the morning and thinking about the conflict. And I think it's true when, when you are 
uh, you know, oppressing another people in this way, you can, many Israelis can not think about the conflict because they don't feel it. And I think that definitely the international community has to take concrete actions so that uh, Israelis who are doing these war crimes can, can, should, pay, should pay a price, uh, whether it means even putting them on, you know, lists that they cannot enter freely European countries, you know, the military officers were doing these terrible crimes. Why are they why are they allowed to even enter Germany and, and all of these Western countries? I mean, really they're they're doing war crimes. And just talking, all of this talk and talk and talk, it really means almost nothing. Yeah. That being said, I think specifically for Masafariata, even talk is 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 almost non-existent. Unlike Sheikh Jarrah and unlike other places that are facing this process of, of colonization and ethnic cleansing, uh, Masafariata is less, I think, in the awareness of the international community. And I'm not even sure how much they are bringing up the name Masafariata in these meetings they're having with the Israeli ministers. And and it's important because uh, this, is, this is making it more risky that the mass eviction will take place because we, we are now seeing this gradual process of eviction, but which is happening for many years. But now after the court decision, the army can actually come with trucks, load up more than a thousand people. We're talking about almost 3000 people in, in the, the biggest estimation and just evict them. So the, one of the biggest acts of expulsions since the 67 occupation can really take place at any moment. We don't know when it will take place. Yeah. So it's really, really important. Yeah. Well, look, uh, but, um, before I go back to Basel, the question which, which I'd be wanting to ask you myself, but actually um, Mary in Stockport has put it in a much better way. Um, Ma Mary says, um, Yuval, uh, why do you care so much about the well-being of Palestinians? What makes you so independently minded and unique among a population of Israelis who overwhelmingly seem to support right-wing parties, apartheid and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians? That's her question to you. Yeah, so I can say briefly that for me, uh, what changed, I studied Arabic, Palestinian Arabic, and the language really allowed me to, I think, see a lot of things that I didn't see before. And... Uh, and I feel the responsibility, you know, this this horrible uh, ethnic cleansing that's happening in 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 Masafariata uh, 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 is happening in my name. You know, even if I'm not, uh, it's 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 the people who are enforcing it, the system. It's all a system that I'm a privileged citizen in, similar to the apartheid in South Africa. And yeah, I'm I'm trying to use the sources, the resources that I have to maybe make a change and to influence. And I think it's important more people hear about Masafariata and, and yeah. Well, thank, thanks very much, Duval. Uh, this is a question for, for you, Basil. Um, now, it's this is a question that's coming in. Um, now, where are we? Uh, yes, this is, uh, this is from Max. And Max is in London, in England. And Max says, uh, Basil, your work on the ground is inspiring to all. I want to know what help have you had from the Palestinian Authority? And have you felt solidarity? Have you received solidarity from Palestinians in Gaza? You'll have to switch your microphone yeah. on, Basil. Yeah, solidarity from Palestinians in Gaza. And I think that Palestinians in Gaza need solidarity and need big support to get out from what they're suffering from. 
from the Palestinian Authority, I think they're working closely with the local council since this decision and giving uh, sort of support to these communities. But what that's not enough and that's not uh, help, helping so much this support. I think they should work more uh, on the issue of Masafariyata, especially on the uh, in the diplomats like level. Uh, their like consulates should be working more on this issue of Masafariyata. Yes, I mean, you know, Yuval was making this point a moment ago about Masafariyata and the fact that we have seen some reporting. Those of us who are following this, but. We're not seeing this making the national news right across the world in a way that we are seeing events that are being played out in Ukraine. And that's another point that's come from uh, tonight's uh, show. Um, and the one that we've been making, actually, as soon as the Russians invaded Ukraine and we saw the response in terms of uh, sanctions, in terms of the International Criminal Court being, uh, being called upon to act, by non-signatory members, as it happened, but the you know we 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 we've drawn this direct parallel between an occupation in Ukraine and an occupation in Palestine that's continued for fifty odd years and isn't being sanctioned. So Basil, you know when you 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 pointed to the the support you're getting, but you know like uh, Yuval, you must be disappointed at the fact that there's a kind of well there seems to be a, a double standards at work here. You know, where one 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 attitude towards the Russians and another words to, to the occupation of uh, the Palestinian lands. Yeah, for us, we're really like hurt by the hypocrisy of the international community that keep like as Zival like almost said everything, keep condemning, sending out statements, and come taking video. Like this minister come today to take video, but now the army is doing like. Uh, keep doing the training and bombing uh, in the area and uh, uh, the facts on the ground are are just created by the Israeli settlers and Israeli occupation soldiers who's the ones that holding the power to do whatever they want and as I as I said and the US and the uh, European Union specifically keep sending like statements and they're supporting the Palestinian uh, rights and supporting the human rights and uh, settlements are illegal uh, according to the international law and uh, Israeli occupation is illegal but wh what they, are, they have done to this uh, it's nothing because settlements are expanding uh, our homes have been demolishing every day almost across West Bank uh, settlers attacks have been like uh, uh, in in increasing uh, without any uh, sanctions uh, from this international community toward Israel and I believe that if like this international community is still interested in a solution uh, to to our facts as Palestinians is they they are the only uh, one can do it through their sanctions and the Israeli authorities so they can stop what they're doing but coming to the to the area doing videos and writing on, on Twitter I don't know writing statements to the Israeli authorities this is, is not helpful. And the issue like Masafir Yatta and Sheikh Jarrah and Khan Al-Ahmar, it's the basic thing the, this international community should do is to, pre to prevent our eviction. And we should have, have master plans and building permission and leave 
uh, with dignity on our land with uh, uh, with all life requirements. Well, thank you, Basil. Um, actually, now here's a question I'll put to, to both of you, if I may. Um, and this is from uh, Farouk in New York. Um, starting with you, Basil. Um, Basil, does all of this make you feel that the two-state solution is now dead? Um, and should Palestinians be advocating for an equal rights approach now, a one-state solution to dismantle apartheid? For me, I'll speak from my perspective and the perspective of the Palestinians living in Masafir We are not a people who think about two-state solution or one-state solution because we are living uh, without any human rights. Uh, our rights have been like damaged for years since I born and grew up here in Masafir has no rights, always homes under threat demol under the threat of demolition. So first, I think, have to end this inter uh, occupation and military occupation because we're living under military uh, control and laws that we don't choose. They are always opposed on us uh, by uh, guns, by military, by soldiers. So first, I think, before getting to any solution or negotiate about any solution, should end this uh, settlements and this military presence into our land and, and controlling our life. Thanks, Basil. I mean, I can I, I think people can see that that would be your most immediate and most important consideration, uh, given that uh, the rest of this might seem to be uh, rather highfalutin, if you let if you like. But but actually, equal rights, equal rights seems to be a such a potent demand, a base such a basic human right. Um, and so I'm wondering, Yuval, what, what about that? What about Farouk's question um, about the two-state solution being dead? And should essentially Palestinians and Israelis be advocating for equal rights? Equal rights. Should this really dismantle well, apartheid? Yeah, I have to say I, I, I have a few thoughts about this. The first thought is I think... Uh, one thing we have to be careful of sometimes people who are supporting a one state solution are in a way legitimizing uh, a lot of the extreme uh, set settlements that have been happening, for example, in Masafariata and on Basel's land, because they are saying, OK, it's the one state. So and I think it's important that we, we notice that regardless of one state, two state, uh, 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 the, 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 the settlers who are, who are in, in, the, in the 67 occupation are a really big cause of the violence that is happening there. And I think it's important not to depoliticize the, this question. I think that, you know, another thought is that one state or two state, like the present reality is that Israel is not interested in a solution. And I think the reason Israel is refusing to make any kind of solution is because of the insane power imbalance between Israelis and Palestinians. Israel is so powerful. It's one of the strongest armies in the world. It's maintaining its occupation, as we've mentioned, with no international uh, intervention or action against it. The Arab countries are, in a way, betraying the Palestinians and, and, and normalizing relations with Israel. So we are in this situation of an apartheid state that is really uh, allowed, has the green light to, to use all of all of all of its power to conduct this system of siege on Gaza and of ethnic cleansing in the land. So, in a way, this theoretical question of one state or two states, which is which is not unimportant for me, the more important question: How do you close this power gap? How and when you close a little bit of this power gap, 
maybe both solutions can work, but it's important to realize that I think the reason the two-state solution is not working or the one-state solution is not because there is something wrong uh, per se in the solution, but because of this Israeli refusal and because of this power gap. That being said, after all of that, I still think that there is a lot of problems in the two-state paradigm. And I think that, you know, one of the problems, for example, is that it's completely disregarding the question of 1948, uh, uh, the fact that Palestinians uh, are connected to the entire land, that there is a system of colonialism also inside Israel and, and you know, against the Palestinian citizens of Israel. And I think that I'm not sure a one state, but I think in some way, like a shared space with equal rights, maybe a confederation, in the future is is more close to the solution that I think is more just. But again, this is all theoretical talk. We are now fighting mm -hmm. against the apartheid and the military occupation. This is a very concrete fight that is that it has different terminology than the ones of solutions, I yes. think, for me. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. I mean, if it, frankly, if it wasn't down to uh, your work and the work of Basil, you know, showing us this material, getting it out, telling the story, um, we would be none the wiser, uh, really, because, you know, what I've certainly seen in recent years is that Western media organisations have also cut back on budgets. There's far less available for reporters to go um, and cover stories such as this. Um, and so the, what you're doing um, by showing so clearly what is happening, uh, no attempt to downplay or to censor or to control, um, and with the, the, the shooting and murder of Shireen, for instance, a few weeks back, the work of the activists, the work of journalists in actually showing what had happened has been absolutely vital. And in a way, I suppose one area of hope uh, from where we're sitting is that certainly as a result of all of your work, um, language has now entered the mainstream that wasn't there 10 years ago, such as apartheid policies such as settler violence and we now see from amnesty international to the united nations to the european union the adoption of what you see and experience every day so look i, I just wanted to to you know unfortunately we're coming to an end um i just wanted to come back to you both for some final words you know basil yuval we're very grateful to you thanks for all that you are doing and and, and what you're bringing and showing us and reporting on. Um, but, you know, you're there. We, we've got a lot of people watching this. They'll see more of this over the coming days uh, because we do have the power of social media now and we can't be censored. Um, so, Basil, your your last thoughts, if, I'm, if I may ask you, what, what would you really like to see from people in Britain, in America, elsewhere, uh, who might be watching this? What can we do? Uh, <clears throat> I would like to see a lot, to be honest, but uh, I would love to see people keep pushing their governments and uh, toward to do like to to make Israel hand sanctions to to see solidarity, people protesting, keep writing and posting about Musafir Yatta, share our story is very important. Uh, we are working, as you mentioned, on the ground hardly to raise our voice to stop. Uh, this thing happening to to us to our communities so we'll be more than happy to see uh, more and more solidarity uh, from the internationals until to get the point to stop 
uh, Israel from what they are doing. Thank you, Basil. Uh, Yuval. I can just echo what Basil said. You should follow Basil on Twitter also. He's always uh, doing amazing journalism and, and, and sharing it there. And I want to say, you know, maybe as, as someone who is Jewish, that don't don't let, uh, uh, you know, there is a lot of smears happening of criticism against uh, the Israeli apartheid being labeled as anti-Semitism or in some way being against Jews or against Israelis. And I think this is wrong. You know, really listen to your conscience, listen to your heart. This is apartheid going on, on the ground. It's very, very clear, and it's time to really take uh, concrete action against it because we are really going uh, down, down, down. It's deteriorating, and it's very, very scary. So, so yeah, and thank you, Mark, for hosting, and thank you, everybody. Not at all, Yuval. And actually, thank you very much for your last statement. It's very, very important and powerful that because a lot of good people have felt quite intimidated uh, when... They're, you know, when they're calling for equal rights and for justice to be accused of being racist or anti-Semitic or what have you. So we don't want any of that stuff. Um, so, uh, Maria Landi, what did we start to thank? We start to thank and admire the miracle that it means how Basil has become a brave journalist and outspoken activist coming from the heart of apartheid and deprivation. So there we are. Um, from Maria Landi, uh, that's a message to you, Basil. Um, also, uh, if you want to follow Yuval and if you want to follow Basil on Twitter, have a look there. There are the handles. So please do. Please, um, please keep in touch and support them in any which way you can. Um, we here at Palestine Deep Dive are very grateful to Yuval and Basil for joining us. It's been a very, very important uh, show. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, also thanks from our colleagues at Palestine Deep Dive who made this happen, Omar Alex and Ahmed. So until next time, it's goodbye from all of us. Bye bye.